Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box, with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Hey, Mia Hull with you on the podcast, streaming online or live on your radio from 12 to 1pm. This is Out of the Box. Each week, I sit down with one person and their record collection to talk through the story of their life. Before we jump into the show today, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that my guest and I are recording on unceded Gadigal land. We pay our respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations person listening right now. Gadigal people have been sharing stories and songs on this land since the beginning of time. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today we're chatting to Tom Pitts. Tom is a Melbourne-based teacher, sound designer, musician, and as we'll find through the show today, a man of many talents, the most recent being writer. Tom has just released his debut novel. It's called Electric and Mad and Brave, and it was inspired by two songs he wrote 14 years ago. So there'll be a few big full circle moments on Out of the Box today as we look at those songs and the book and the stories and tracks that have shaped Tom's life. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. What an honour. Thank you for having me. Let- Very excited. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> and too. a little bit nervous. It's so nice to have someone in the studio with me. Yeah. Let's talk about your new book, Electric and Mad and Brave. Well, I shouldn't even say new, just first book. Yeah. Huge. How, how does it yeah. feel to have that out in the world? Oh, it feels like part amazing, part kind of terrifying for something that I've been working on for literally over 10 years is now kind of out there for everyone to see and to, I guess, have their opinion about and, and that, that kind of thing, you know, riding with the door closed as they say, suddenly the door's open and everyone's kind of got it in their hands, which is a bit terrifying. I feel like the obvious question is what made you want to write this story, but having written it over the course of 10 years, what first made you want to write it and then what kept you in it for so long? Yeah, I, well, because it has taken a lot of different forms. As you said earlier, it was a couple of songs to begin with two very quite melodramatic songs I think that I wrote you know just out of high school and then it it was a theatre show it kind of became a monologue through those songs and then yeah later on it became a manuscript and I've been asked before what kept the story going and I think it, it is about young lives and I think there's something about that time that I guess I'm talking, you know, just out of, you know, just around kind of the end of high school, the start of uni, that age that is really desperate, I think. And, you know, all your interactions are desperate and you're so, everything seems so exciting and, and kind of terrifying. And I guess like experience is really heightened then. Um, is that what you mean when you say desperate? It is. When I say desperate, I think, you know, people's interaction is really important that people like them and that, that, that what they're saying is coming across the right way. Yeah, it seems it seems like the the feelings are really desperate and important. And how do you shape those feelings of desperation into a story? Can you give me an idea of maybe maybe a synopsis? I can give you a synopsis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess the synopsis I give it's a, about a character called Matt Lacey who is writing from a psychiatric ward and his psychologist has asked him to write a journal about his past and particularly about his friend Christina, his childhood sweetheart that he knew. And I guess the traumatic events that happened around that time that have led him to be where he is today. So he writes in the form of a journal. The book takes the form of a journal and he doesn't really tell the truth about what happened because he hasn't, I suppose, dealt with everything yet. So it's kind of the story of him coming to terms with what happened and retelling that story as he remembers it, whether or 
or not that's true. So did you write that for people that are in that period of their life, maybe learning to navigate that kind of desperation? Or is there a bigger audience for that? Yeah, I think, well, when it first was written, it was certainly written, you know, at the time when I had these songs and I had this monologue, I was 22. And I think I was feeling those feelings a lot. And then it was interesting coming back to it. Um, and I guess being able to see it as someone, I, I started rewriting it when I was 28. I had a completely different point of view. And it was almost with a kind of um, an amused eye. I looked back on the way that I felt at that time. And now I'm, I suppose the book is written from that perspective. He's writing as a 28-year-old looking back on that time. So part of it is about really being swept up in those emotions. Um, and I guess another part is being older and actually learning to analyse them and what was going on then and maybe how that affected you moving forward. That's so special that you have that, Tom. I was actually thinking about something similar last night because I remember writing a letter to my adult self at like 18. Yeah. And I was thinking about like, oh, it's almost time to open that up. And I wonder how funny that would be to me. But I guess I don't have to do that. I can just read your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and kind of get an idea for it then. It kind of sounds like the book is grounded in your personal experiences to some degree. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, look, it's definitely grounded in, in personal experience in, in a couple of ways. Like the story is is a, a love story and that was like a big part of that time for me, you know, just coming out of a really long relationship, being swept up in the excitement of kind of all these parties and stuff. And But then the other part is about mental illness and not just the, the main character, but also the other main character, who his friend Christina, um, and the mental illness that she was going through at the time. And... There's a, a a lot, I, guess, I suppose, of me from that time of of being someone who was not responsible for someone with uh, you know mental illness, but certainly feeling like you were responsible for that person and wanting to be able to help them, but being completely unequipped and not knowing what to do, you know, or even I guess who to ask for help. Yeah, later in the show, I want to kind of circle back to mental health and mental illness because mm -hmm. it certainly is a big through line through the book. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about the rest of your life as well, which I feel <laughs> like we've got a little bit of a taste of through the last kind of five minutes of talking about your new book and the different career trajectories you've had. It's been huge, Tom. First, let's jump into a song by Kate LeVon. What made you pick this one? Um, so the first song I've chosen, I suppose it's a little bit of a like a lockdown anthem for me because, uh, well, a lot of the book was written during lockdown when I had sort of a lot of that time at home. Being from Melbourne, it was a, it was a lot of time. Um, and I saw Kate LeBon just before we went into lockdown and I had tickets to see her again just coming out of lockdown, but I wasn't able to go, unfortunately, because I was ill. So a lot of the time while I've been writing this book, her music has been present, so I thought I wanted to play one of her songs. Um, and it's called Harbour from her new album, and it's a cracker, I reckon.
That was Kate LeBon and Harbour on FBI Radio 94.5. I'm sitting down with Tom Pitts on Out of the Box today. Tom's just released his debut novel, Electric and Mad and Brave. And along with being a writer, Tom is a teacher, artist, sound designer and many more things. Before we get into all that, Tom, I want to go right back to the start of your life. Where did you grow up? So I was born in Melbourne, born down south in Melbourne, down in Hampton, where I had most of my childhood, except for a couple of years, me and my family lived in Tonga overseas, which is a tiny little dot on the map in the South Pacific, um, when I was eight and nine, which I think was a really amazing experience. It was just a completely different lifestyle then, um, you know, having no TV, having, I guess, no popular, that kind of popular culture that teaches you so much without you even knowing just wasn't there, you know, so... I remember me and my brother used to kind of, there was, there was no crime there really. So we used to spend our time just kind of wandering about and he was 10, so he was allowed to have a machete. <laughs> uh, I was eight, so I wasn't allowed to have a machete, which oh was like God. a bit of a sore point. So I had like a like a bommy knocker that you know made out of wood that I thrashed the mangroves aside with. But yeah. You said there was no crime. It kind of sounds like you and your brother were criminals. Well, you know what? There was like a lot of these crabs <laughs> on the shore and we used to, shoot the crabs with these little shish kebab guns it was really so you know there was no parents there we were terrible you know with that uh, yeah and you're a vegetarian now i wonder i am a ve- yeah maybe maybe <laughs> maybe it's the crabs that did i've never thought about that yeah <laughs> it's, it's guilt. <laughs> it is a guilt i feel i feel really man for some of those crabs are the crabs that had the really big claw and then the little claw and then we would torment them and then if they bit us because we tormented them then we would you know, be anyway. Oh, they're the bad guys. They, uh, you know, we were the bad guys. Tell me about your parents. What kind of careers did they have that brought them to Tonga? Yeah, so my dad was in human resources and he worked for a company called Australian Volunteers Abroad, which was the reason that the family went over there in employment and I guess training, you know, people for different companies over there and also settling in other expats like us that were moving over to Tonga. So he knew the place and would show them around and get them settled in. Other Australians are moving there. Um, And my mum has always been a a teacher and was was a teacher there as well. Um, She was a teacher. I think she actually quit because she was one of those teachers who was really affected by the Kennett closing of schools that happened a lot around that time. I think she worked for three schools that were all closed down. And then she sort of was like, you know what, I'm giving up, quit teaching and moved to Tonga and I think couldn't resist and went back to do it then. Yeah, so always been a teacher, Mum. Were there a lot of Australian teachers working in Tonga at the time? Not really. There was uh, no, not, not, a, not at the school I was at. I was at an English-speaking school, um, not a Tongan-speaking one, but we didn't have any there. And I think that Mum was the only Australian teacher at her school. Yeah, there weren't a huge amount of Australians there. Yeah. Tom, you've built a life around some pretty lofty creative pursuits. You've started a theatre company, you've been in a touring band for many years and now you're a writer as well. Were those avenues clear to you when you were little or was that kind of creativity in your home? Uh, the kind of, the creativity was always there. Mum was always writing songs. Um, she, you know, as I'm sure we'll talk about, writes songs for the you know, musicals and stuff like that now. Dad playing the guitar. Um, so there was a lot of music. We used to go to church uh, a lot back when I was younger and, and there was a lot of music there. But I don't know that I uh, I always had designs of kind of 
being a, a, a writer or, or a musician or anything like that. I think when I was young, I wanted to be an actor. I think I liked people looking at me and I kind of wanted to be like a, a famous actor. I don't know that I was really very good at acting, unfortunately, but, you know, that was what I kind of wanted to be. And then I kind of uh, just fell into the other things, I suppose, as they went along, you know, kind of playing the piano and meeting other friends in high school that played instruments and it's like, why don't we form a band? 12 years later, we've been playing the same band for, you know, together. And same thing with uni, you know, meeting like-minded people and we all wanted to create theatre shows and finding hard to get auditions. So we put the theatre company together so we could perform in front of people, really. Some bios about you do call you an actor, though. I feel like you've dabbled. Uh, I've I've, 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 I've more than dabbled, I suppose, in in so far as I think I did about 14 shows when I was at uni. Um, There's really something about the um, community of being in a play that is incredible because it's maybe two or three months that you're you're with that group of people and you live with them and you love them and you you have these wildly close relationships with people also because you're exploring your kind of emotions in a safe and fun environment and then and then it and then you finish the play and you kind of go and there's something really infectious about being in that environment so I, I've been in a lot of plays yeah for that reason you know and, and acting groups because it's just such a cool community I think. Do you feel like you prefer the behind-the-scenes stuff more? Um, as I got older, I did. I, I always thought I really loved acting and was really, you know, it was going to be what I wanted to do when I was younger. And I think, you know, you get older and you and you see people who are really amazing. And I, and I was like, wow, you know, those people are amazing. I, maybe that was intimidating. So I, I guess the longer I was in it, the more I started to like the behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, I did a lot of sound design, which I loved, you know, so I kind of got more into into that side of it and, and, and the writing side and as opposed to the being on stage. But, I mean, at this current point in your life, you make a career of standing up in front of a group of people every single day. So yeah, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes, That's Tom. True. But first, we're jumping into a song by Florence and the Machine. Why'd you pick this one? Uh, I picked this one because it's a song that is just uh, reminds me of, of the time when I was in uni, the time that I'm talking about, um, or just after uni it was, when we were kind of making all this stuff. You know, we had a group of friends that were writing shows and putting stuff on in shop fronts and car parks. One of the shows actually was ended up being this book, um, and it was a really great time. I don't actually listen to the song that much anymore um but when it comes on the radio i just have that you know that kind of conspiratorial smile with yourself that it, you know that maybe no one really that knows that about that time but it's uh, super meaningful i think when i was looking back at songs it really meant something for me yeah and now you're putting it on the radio <laughs> yeah That's now i'm putting it on the radio so That's special. Right, so I can, yeah great and yeah later in the show um we'll, we'll circle back to that period of your life where mm-hmm. you're putting on shows in shop fronts and creating a theater company mm-hmm. but first this song by florence and the machine it's called dog days are over and you're hearing it right here on fbi radio 94.5 You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB or if you're streaming via the podcast or on the website fbiradio.com. That song was by Florence and the Machine. It was called Dog Days Are Over and it was chosen by my guest on the show, Tom Pitts. As we were jumping into it, Tom, 
You're talking about a period of your life where you were really getting into theatre and music. You're now a teacher, so you still are getting up in front of people every day. What what made you want to become a teacher? I was always always teaching. I suppose through through that period, I was kind of teaching drama classes to to young kids, um, even dance classes, which is absurd because I'm a terrible dancer. Um, I think like teaching has always been in the family because mum was a teacher and a lot of people I know that were teachers have parents who did the same thing Mm. and it was kind of always hanging about. Um, So I feel like, you know, as I got a little bit older, playing in the band, making shows, it was this wild experience, but it was exhausting. I think, you know, a lot of bands have played more than us, but I think we played perhaps you know, 53 shows in one year once, and that included a three-month break. So it was like a lot of travelling around, and it was super exhausting. And teaching was certainly... There there was certainly a decision to go back and do teaching um, or go back and do something to, I suppose, ground myself a little bit more, perhaps make those other things in life that I wanted to do be a bit more feasible with a career. And I guess I chose teaching because it was something that I enjoyed doing. And I suppose I, I knew that I, I could do. I think I think it's important, especially when you're doing creative things, that when, when they're creative things that you're kind of putting out parts of yourself and you're terrified about how people are going to look at it and how they're going to respond, having something else that you feel that you are skilled at and can do really well, I think is really important. I love going to school and the kids are really energetic. They're primary kids, so they've got that kind of enthusiasm that hasn't, I suppose, waned yet, like maybe it will when they get to year seven or eight. So I get to go into a classroom each day and be, you know, inspired by these kids who are just super enthusiastic, love the stuff that you're throwing at them. Even if it's like pop songs that would make people tear their hair out because these kids haven't heard enough music to know that what they're listening to has been done a million times before. They just kind of love it, you know. Um, so there's something really wonderful about being around that all the time. Yeah, that kind of lifts me up. Yeah, um, it's infectious, Tom, even yeah. hearing you talk about it. You've lit up. It's yeah, uh, yeah. So it, is, it, is, it is infectious, yeah, yeah. And earlier in the show you talked about your mum writing music within the school. Do you, do you work with your mum? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a, not everyone gets to do that. That's a, like a big bonus. She's the um, assistant principal of my school and I'm the music teacher. So we work together insofar as we do the um, school musicals together. And um, we've got one going up in three weeks, which is called iThrone, which is like a portmanteau of iPhone and <laughs> throne. It's kids going back in time saving the day in the hundred year war with their phones did your mom uh, write that she play? did she with the old music <laughs> teacher they used to write the uh the musicals together and um we've been remounting them since i worked there and ironically this one being 10 years old and about technology was super outdated so we were going through the script when we were updating it and there were there were things like you know we'll use our sat nav and all of that technology <laughs> that was so <laughs> forefront back in you know 2012 um yeah, so it's um, it's a really amazing working with her, um, and and getting to also again like use that creative side. It's not me doing it. You said it's interesting to stand up in front of kids. What's really cool though is seeing them kind of step up, mm. and it's sort of when they get to that year five or year six, or often in grade four, that's when some will find their voice, mm. and suddenly these kids who are maybe they weren't so confident suddenly they realise, oh my gosh, I can like. I sort of get this and they start singing and we record a soundtrack and they sound amazing and, you know, their parents cry because they've never heard their, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's a really, it's a really cool um, 
time of year for us. Do you ever see yourself in them or that kind of passion that you might have had when you were little? Yeah, yes, sometimes you do. And especially with, a, a, you know, there'll be particular kids coming through and you'll, I don't know, you'll just be like, oh my gosh, I rec-, you know, <laughs> that, that was you, you know, oh, you're lining up the stick so they all face the same way as well, you know, or, or they'll kind of, the exciting thing for me is when they, um, I guess because my job as a primary school teacher, I only see the kids for an hour a week. I'm not going to be able to teach them how to play the piano. So I, it's about exposure, exposing to them to as many things. And sometimes a kid will just like grab something and then they'll have done it. Like I've got a kid who loves um, making their own beats um, and then they just go and they'll show me they've been on whatever Google song maker or garage band and it's I, I haven't done that. You know, they've gone and done that themselves and, and that's really cool seeing seeing a kid who's just sort of something's clicked for them, they've found something and they they pursue it and then you just get to see, you know, the progression every couple of years. And maybe you'll hear them making beats on yeah, the, yeah. On the world Wouldn't stage that be wild? One day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Haven't had that yet. I think my oldest kid will be in year ten, so who knows, you know, maybe you know. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if um Fleet Foxes were ever inspired by a music teacher, Tom. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> you have chosen a song by them to play on the show. I Why'd have... you pick this one? I picked this one. I love the Fleet Foxes. Um, I think they're my favourite band, one of them, if not. This song is Montezuma, which is the first song on their second album, Helplessness Blues. And I think it's quite clear that Robin Pecknoll was going through a difficult time of, you know, whether making music like he is is kind of worth it or is of value. He went back to uni after this because he wanted to find something else. Um, And the first line of the song is, so now that I'm older than my mother and father when they had their daughter, what does that say about me? Uh, And it just really, like resonated with me that line it was at a, it was a time before I you know had gone to do teaching um was having this really great time um but I, I suppose I felt like I was getting a bit older and things weren't working out as I'd imagined in my head they were and that line really resonated and I maybe was a catalyst for kind of changing my life at that point so yeah I thought it would be a, a nice one to choose You're listening to Out of the Box. This is Fleet Foxes. The song is called Montezuma. That song was called Montezuma. It was by the Fleet Foxes and you heard it right here on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. My name is Mia Hull. I'm joined by Tom Pitts, who is a choreographer, sound designer, actor, <laughs> muso. <laughs> choreographer for, for grade five children. Can we just, just in case anyone's just jumped in. <laughs> Tom's joining me um, a week after releasing his first ever book, Electric and Mad and Brave. And we were just talking about your career as a teacher, Tom. And while I'm moving around in this story and the timeline a lot, I feel like You've moved around in your timeline a lot as well because you originally studied teaching for two hours. I did, yes. What happened there? Oh, well, so I went in to do an arts uh, and teaching degree and um, I went to a couple of lectures and then I was having lunch with my friend who's like, Tom, come on, you like performing arts? 
ditch the teaching, come with me. And I said, okay. And mm-hmm. I walked into the, like, the dean's office as, as someone else was leaving who had just left the course. And the dean was like, well, you know, that guy's out, so you can be in. And it was a, an amazingly really good decision. In the end, I actually ended up 10 years later having to finish that teaching degree um, when I was at a bit of a crossroads. But doing that change completely like redirected my life. And I did this performing arts degree and met some of my best friends now who are still my best friends. And, and we made a, a theatre company at the end of it. And it just started me on, on that creative path that I, I've, I've been on and I guess I'm still on now. Um, we finished that course and we, I guess we all wanted to be actors or we wanted to be lighting designers and this and that. And there wasn't really after student theatre much of a, many jobs going. Um, so we thought we'd, I guess, do it ourselves. And, and a friend of ours had put a show on in this uh, underground car park and we thought, we want to do that, you know. So we got this script together based on these two songs that incidentally ended up becoming this manuscript and we, you know, we put it together and we put it on in this underground car park in Collingwood. Are these the songs that you said were really melodramatic? They were the songs that were melodramatic, yeah. So, so what does a melodramatic show look like? Oh, well, the reason I say it's melodramatic is because I was in a like an indie rock band um, and it was kind of a, you know, we tried to write these fast, dancey, fun kind of songs. But then I also had these two songs that were like ballads and they were, they were, they were good songs, but there was always like, you know, the kind of lull in the set and this kind of, where are we going to put these two songs, you know? So I guess from that point of view, they're really melodramatic. <laughs> um, but, incident, uh, but you know, um, I did lo- love the story of the songs and I thought there was something in it. It was this story about these two kids running away to kind of be together and it was all wild and teenage. And, <laughs> and, and, and I thought there was something in the story. And uh, I, you know, spent a couple of weeks turning the, that story into a, a monologue, which we then put on as part of this theatre company but it rained torrentially I'll never forget we we went in after the weekend to do the, the next week's run and our lights were completely submerged in this oh. puddle and the you know we'd kind of been drilling the lights into the I guess the beams in the car park and mm. it was it was this kind of very like slapdash indie theatre company thing but um God, what we created was amazing in the end. Or we thought so anyway, <laughs> you know. Is there a reason um, you chose a car park? Um, it was because, well, as I said, these, these other people had put one on there before, but there is just something so, like this massive reverb in a car park mm. and it's kind of a memory play. And there was something about, we realised when you sit on the bleachers in and, and you look down the car park and you turn the lights off, you can have these little pools of light that mm. come up and they just look like little memories. There was something about the distance of the car park and the echo of it that was really beautiful. I wrote a score for it as well. So it was this kind of scored piece and the car park really just made it, I think. I wish you were still doing that, Tom. That's so incredible. Have you noticed that there are so many full circle moments in your life? I mean, the book kind of has you circling back from those songs to the theatre to now writing it and you just talked about circling back to your teaching degree after 10 years yep. as well. Yeah. You, you mentioned your band. Tell me about the band. That's so cool. Yeah, well, the band was kind of, I, I suppose, running concurrently. We were just high school friends. As I said, you know, we I've kind of found a couple of people who played instruments and we, I guess we like the Arctic Monkeys. So we started as like going into a garage and playing these Arctic Monkeys songs and, um, yeah, I, I suppose that was just, you know, one thing led to another and we're like, well, we, you know, if we've got these songs, we might 
you know, why don't we play them live? And I think I did always, I always liked music and kind of making making songs and stuff like that. And then we, yeah, joined this band called The Harlots and we were together for 10 years and it was an amazing and exhausting experience. Um, one that was, that was, I was just saying to a friend just before that it's interesting how you can be on this like wild ride with something and then, and you look back on a time and you're like, wow, I was really unhappy and you have no idea. And it's funny how like, now I'm 35 and I look back and I kind of sort of demarcate my life into little periods that are just random. But for me, it's those periods of time. And that second half or the, you know, second two thirds of the band was a really massively unhappy period. Was this the time you said you were really busy? You did 53 shows in a year. It was a time. Yeah, it was a time when we were really busy. And I think, I think it was also a time when we were, maybe feeling like we weren't progressing anymore, but we were still busy. Mm. And um, maybe we didn't have the energy that we'd once had and we didn't have the, um, I guess, the belief in it. Mm. But what's that called? Sunken cost, is it? When you when you put so much time and effort into something that you can't stop now, you know, you keep going. So yeah. it was a really interesting interesting time. I look back on it and I'm like, wow, I've just done some, uh, you know, had some amazing opportunities with that playing in festivals and, you know, playing in some amazing shows and with some bands that I always wanted to play with. Yeah. I wonder if it's a matter of, um, you know, achieving those goals that you had and ticking them off the list. And it's like, now what? It might be. Yeah. I also think uh, there is, there is something about my headspace at that time. I think, I think there was a point when I decided that I wanted that to be my career. Uh, and that I wanted to not not just succeed in a way that, you know, you have, you know, you go to a show and you're playing songs and people you've never heard are singing your songs back to you, which happened to us, which was amazing and, and, and you would count as a win. But I was like, no, 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 I'm not making money from this, so it's, so it's not a win. And I, I think I, I put myself into this position where I wasn't really maybe letting myself appreciate the ride of it because I suppose things that I'd always wanted to do, shows I always wanted to play, they kind of became stepping stones because I thought, well, I, you know, if I'm going to achieve this, I need to do X and Y um, and you've got to be, you know, moving from one thing to the next or there's no point in doing this. Uh, and it, I guess, became this really burdensome situation where I don't think it was really fulfilling and I, and I was bringing that upon myself, which is absurd because the whole reason I did it was because I loved playing music. Mm. Um, yeah. That's so, yeah, it's so fascinating hearing someone talk about their story that way. And yeah, in a couple of minutes, I, I want to circle back to maybe those feelings of sadness that you had during that time. This question's kind of left of field, but I'm thinking about the way that your book, Electric, Mad and Brave, is kind of you looking back at these feelings you had when you were younger with your wiser mind. And I'm wondering if when you look back at these moments in the band as a wiser person, you have little pearls of wisdom for that for that guy, or things that you would say to him. Yeah, completely. I think that I think, as I said, being able to kind of look back on it and box those times, and I guess being able to see the state you were in when you couldn't really feel it because you were in it. Mm. Um, but there was a lot of times when I really upset at the way that I 
perceived things mm. and the way I, uh, the headspace I was in, or maybe the lens that I looked at things, because there's so much of it that I, I think that I could have enjoyed more. And that when you look back on it older, you go, my goodness, what amazing opportunities you had, what amazing situations for you to be in, just kind of be there and do that. Mm. It's really interesting releasing this book last week. I'm feeling the same thing right now. You know, I mean, I've got something coming out and it's and it's wild. And a friend of mine said, well, younger Tom would be so pleased with older Tom, wouldn't he? And I was like, wow, yeah. So, you know, so older Tom maybe needs to appreciate that <laughs> and not be so concerned, you know, yeah. and not be terrified, but be like, wow, isn't this, isn't this unreal? Uh, Tom, the next song you've chosen is by the saxophones. Tell me about this one. Um, so this song is called New Tradition, and I heard this song uh, just late one night. There's a lot of driving when you're in a band, um, of course, especially uh, up and down the East Coast, drove that way many a time. And this song came on, and it was an amazing just late-night driving song. Um, and if you haven't heard the saxophones, they are an astonishing, astonishing act. I think it's a husband and wife that make these these songs together. And... It, it it really is kind of um, like a herald of that time for me of of feeling, here we go again, you know, we're leaving Melbourne, it's 8am, I've got an eight-hour drive to Sydney so I can check in, you know, to the pub and then play a show and then drive to Brisbane, you know, the next day. Um, and I suppose just feeling that exhaustion. And you know, just when you're driving late at night, you just go into a zone. This song really washed over me and I think it's just exemplifies that feeling perfectly perfect well yeah if you're driving right now while tuning in it's perfect for you as well the song is called new tradition by the saxophones chosen by tom pitts i came of age in an age New Tradition, that was the saxophones on FBI Radio 94.5 DAV or streaming online. You are listening to Out of the Box. I'm Mia Hull. I've got the pleasure of sitting down with Tom Pitts. And we got a little existential before we played that song, Tom. <laughs> we were talking about <laughs> your, your band days. You were in a band called The Harlots. And even though you were achieving these big goals, there was maybe a bit of sadness or maybe it wasn't as positive as you thought it was going to be and I want to dig into that a little bit more Mm -hmm. because I feel like those feelings maybe brought that period of your life to a close why did the band end why are you not playing music anymore in that capacity yeah yeah, good question uh look I think you know I, I mentioned before about the exhaustion and I think that it was a it it was an exhausting process and I think you know when you're trying to kind of whatever it is climb the ladder and which which is kind of I guess like it's not a ladder it's like a it's like a travelator because the higher that you get or the more goals then you just make new goals for yourself which you'll never achieve so you kind of I had that that sort of thing going on and at at the same time I was uh, I was also doing this writing mentorship I was writing this play and I remember I wrote 53 drafts of the first scene of this play that I never finished. I never got through the the first act of it. And I don't, I, 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 nothing exactly happened. I remember 
being at work one day, I was at the cafe and then I was just, and then I was crying for no reason in the world. And behind the coffee machine, I was, you know, bobbing down, you know, as all the customers and stuff, didn't want anyone to see. And then the other barista's like, are you okay? And then running to the toilets, um, just, you know, so no one could see and, and just being like, my God, what, what is, what was that? That's weird. And it happened like three or four times. And I was clear that, that something was just not working. And I think it was just a, co- a collection of, I guess, all the stress, all of the, all the kind of work and, and, and not feeling like I was in a position where I wanted to be. You know, you look around, you've got friends, what well, they do, are they, you know, that one's buying a house, that one's kind of, these, these ones are traveling, da, 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 what are you doing? Oh, I'm uh, just making this coffee right now, but I've got this show coming up in a, you know what I mean? It was this sort of thing and I was, um, like I said before, looking back on it now, it's so incredibly, just an unhappy period of time, um, but hard to know when you're in it. I just think I, I had to make it, I made a decision, I ended up, going back to uni to finish that course that I had <laughs> had started years before and and it's sort of I don't know if it was the exact end but it pretty much coincided with the mm. end of the band I don't think we ever played another show we played maybe one more that we had had booked down the track uh, I abandoned that that play and the theater company I'd moved away from from that theater company so I had this complete change of life I suppose and it was really interesting because I remember there was lots of there was there was this huge feeling in there I think that I'd failed because I had set a goal for myself a continuously changing goal that went you know a little bit further out of my reach than however far I could reach and I went back and did teaching and weirdly when I, and then I started to become a teacher I said this to a lot of my friends the best thing I've ever done in my life is is do teaching because I suddenly had this kind of job that I felt I was quite good at and I it sort of buoyed me and I started being creative again in a way I never had before. I started writing this novel and I had no, it didn't need to be anything at all. It just needed to be exactly what I wanted to be. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to write a story. It's going to be in third person. I was reading Virginia Woolf's diary at the time and I was being really gripped by that. So I was like, I, I, I'm going to write a diary, you know, and, and, I didn't really matter. No one was going to see it. No one was going to do anything. And I felt so massively like liberated creatively, I think, by the fact that I didn't have to do anything but exactly what I what I wanted to do. So it was really strange that by kind of closing all these doors that I'd been so desperately trying not to close to the detriment of my own mental health, maybe, you know, <laughs> I'd found what I'd been trying to find for 10 years. But, yeah, yeah I, I guess that also is speaking to the way that you were paying attention to your mental health, maybe in a way that you hadn't before and the way that that changed your life. Is, is that the first time that, you know, poor mental health or mental illness touched your life, whether that be, you know, on a personal level or through the people around you? On a personal level, yeah, but people around me, no, not, not at all. I think, and this, uh, this is probably the main theme of the book, I think, a big, mm. big theme in the book is, is I've had a lot of situations where mental health has been present in my life because I was super close to someone who was suffering from it. Um, I remember being, I think it was like nine or or t- 10 I might have been, and my friend was ill. 
And my dad's like, we're going to see them in the hospital. They're ill. I went to the hospital and I was like, no one's sick. You know, there's no one's, no one's, I couldn't see anyone in the cast. No, you know, I mean, no one was ill. Mm. And then we, you know, and then she got out and then we were playing footy the next week. And it was like, what the heck was going on here? And I learned years later, she had an eating disorder. She had, there was so much going on in this, her life that just went over my head. Mm. Um, and I had a couple of other situations, one in high school, one ongoing and one in uni that I was really close to these people who were not coping. And in all of those times, except the first one where I, you know, it was kind of this foreign thing to me that I didn't understand, I felt like this person needs help and I'm the guy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really close to this, but I need to, to kind of do something here. You know, I, you know, they, they need help. I can see it. I'm really close to this person. And so I'll, I don't know what I do. You know, and I, and really like these quite con- confronting situations, um, and feeling really like I was in a position where I was maybe need to do something, but I had no idea what. We had th- this situation when our theatre company was together that ended really because one of our people we knew committed suicide, and it was completely n- not someone who we we had even been concerned for in that manner really there was a lot of people we were worried about it's not even one of the people I'm talking about but but an, but another person and it it just annihilated the the kind of the the group and and it's been amazing I'm still friends with all of those people and seeing you know someone went overseas to 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 do the trip that they were going to do someone else move you know someone else moved away and got out of the group entirely and it would just just you know all these it's coming up in people's stories and stuff now you know it's obviously was such a huge thing for people and and I think you have that when something like that happens you're like I probably could have done you know I don't think that's fair it's It's, not it's not fair is it no but what you can't help thinking is if something had happened differently what would have the result have have been you know Mm -hmm. and you kind of and it's in I guess it's in a way it's a very selfish kind of thing but you think that you could have done something it's your story you were the you know what I mean when maybe it really didn't have anything to do with you but there's been a lot of that um and talking about the book that there's I think the narrator of the book that that guilt that he has kind of developed within himself is definitely there that it's been written by someone who you know has lived through those experiences for years and Mm. maybe understands them more than this character does. That book is called Electric and Mad and Brave by Tom Pitts. I'll put a link up on the program's page on fbiradio.com. Tom, what does the future hold for you? <laughs> Lots of great things, I hope. <laughs> um, I'm working on another novel now. We, uh, Me and Mum already know which musical we're doing in another in two years, even though this one's not on. Um, but a lot of things, I hope. You know, I hope to, um, now that we're out of lockdown, I wouldn't mind playing a couple of musical performances because it's been, you know, four years, I suppose, since mm. since the last time I did that. Yeah, so a lot of stuff on the horizon. You're Melbourne-based. I don't feel like we can go and see your show, but if anyone's in Melbourne... We'll... <laughs> no, I think it's, it's, it's just, just school-based. <laughs> it's not open to the public. Not open to the public. Not open to the public. Damn. But you'd be blown away if it was. Damn. <laughs> Next time. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and you've chosen a Kate Bush song to end the show with Tom. Tell me about this one. Yeah, uh, this one. Uh, so I've chosen this song. Uh, this is Hounds of Love. It's from the album Hounds of Love. I think I mentioned Virginia Woolf before that she wrote this uh, amazing diary throughout her life 
which is amazing because it's super mundane but you but if you know what happened to her in her life and how it ended it it is super loaded so the last thing i think she writes is leonard is doing the rhododendrons and then she walked into a creek not not long after that and i think they're saying about you really feel the isolation that she felt being in richmond in this kind of country estate convalescing unable to go anywhere and i remember hearing the album hounds of love and just feeling like it nailed that that sense of the kind of period english sense but then there's also her being ill and just just that that kind of sense um so i've always loved this album for that reason and i chose hounds of love because it's my favorite song on the album amazing it's kate bush on fbi radio 94.5 chosen by tom pitts Thank you so much for tuning in. This show is out of the box. If you did want to listen back, you can do that on the programs page on fbiradio.com where you'll also find links to the things that Tom and I have spoken about, including his book, Electric and Mad and Brave, which just dropped last week. There'll also be a full track list there. And you can listen back via the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I want to give a big shout out to producer Luke for helping with the research for this episode and to Sam Dover for helping with the edit. Do stay tuned. Lunch is right around the corner. FBI.